0: Thanks for tuning in to week three of the parable series here at City Church. We are honored and blessed to have you join us for our online worship experience. It is our intent to share God's word with our community, our church family, and online viewers like you. If you live in the greater Savannah area and don't have a church home, we would love for you to visit us at 1624 East 38th Street on the corner of 38th and B Road. Remember, resources like this are meant to be supplemental, so get yourself to church. If you like what you see today, you can visit us at citychurch.life or by clicking on the link in the description. Today I have the privilege of giving you guys the parable of the tenants. And so I wanted to just jump right in and give you the, the full parable as Jesus has it in Luke 20. Uh, starting in verse 9, it says, And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants, so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, "'What shall I do? "'I will send my beloved son. "'Perhaps they will respect him.' But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, Surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. Well, that escalated quickly. I didn't like your story, now I'm going to kill you? What? I mean, don't get me wrong, I've had stories I don't like. We all know that The Last Jedi was not the film it could have been, but I'm not going after the director personally. I just think he could have made some better choices. But that's a story for another time. But, but really, like, what? what kind of response is this? Like, I didn't like your story, now I'm going to kill you. Like, so, so what we really need to understand here is that this did not start with just this story, right? We need a little bit of context. And if you guys know me very much at all, you know that I love context. Sometimes, maybe you think I love it a little bit too much when I'm ready to talk about it for an hour on end, uh, but, but I think it's really important that we understand why the Pharisees have this response or why the, the priests have this response, and so we need to understand what has happened leading up to this story. So to give you a little bit of background, this is Holy Week. At least that's the churchy term that we use for it. This is the week leading up to Jesus' crucifixion, on the cross, that this takes place. He's already gone through the triumphal entry where he rode on the donkey. They're laying down the palm branches. You guys have probably seen this depicted in a movie, or at least you've heard about it before, and so you know that this is like a mountaintop moment, and Jesus is coming to the city. There's all kinds of celebration, and then at least according to the Gospel of Luke, the next thing Jesus does is he starts flipping tables, right? Like, Jesus's party is going hard here. Like, He's excited, he's running into the city, he's flipping tables over, but uh, he's he's got good reason to be flipping tables. And that happens in the chapter just prior to this parable. I wanna take a look at that. It tells us in Luke 19, starting in verse 45, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers." So he's not just excited and flipping over tables. He's got good reason because he sees that the people's hearts are not in the right place. And he is so passionate for God that he is taking matters into his own hands. If you look at it in another gospel, it says he actually forms a whip that he uses to drive out these people, right? Jesus is metal, guys. All right, so it continues, and he was teaching daily in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him after he's done flipping these tables, but they did not find anything they could do for all the people were hanging on his words. So obviously the, the uh, religious leaders at the time had problems with Jesus before the story that we just read. And it's, it even started before this, but this is definitely one of the things that leads to it. Jesus is literally turning things upside down, right? And they do not like it. Jesus is taking matters into his own hands and it's upsetting the system. And Jesus is popular. They can't touch him cuz he's so popular. Jesus is also passionate. Like you don't just run into the temple and start turning tables and shoving people out if you're not passionate about something and you know that Jesus is passionate for the Father. He's passionate for the people who are living without relationship with God. So he's popular and he's passionate, and the religious leaders are threatened because it looks like Jesus is more popular than they are. Now, I hate that it's a popularity contest, but honestly, like this is a very high school scenario right here, except that at the end of the day, somebody's willing to kill somebody else over it but it's very much like that popularity contest in high school, except Jesus isn't playing the game. The religious leaders are the ones who are threatened. You see, they see that Jesus is more popular than they are. They see that the people are hanging on his every word. They also think that Jesus is passionate about the wrong things. Because, you see, the way that they view the world, all that money exchanging happening in the temple, well, that's good for business, right? that's going to help line their pockets. And so they are upset that Jesus is passionate about driving that out. They think that he is passionate about the wrong things. They have to figure something out quickly. So this is kind of what sets the stage into our story. And before Jesus actually tells the parable, this is what the religious leaders have come up with. It says, one day as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders came up. And they said to him, tell us by what authority you do these things or who it is that gave you this authority. So they're asking him, what gives you the right? You know, this is essentially what Jesus is doing is if somebody walked into the building right now, kind of pushed me off stage and said, hey, I got something to share with everybody. Like, we don't know who this guy is. What, what is he doing? So right now, Pastor Jim's asked me to fill the the pulpit this morning, but it would be as if some stranger came in and started telling you guys whatever he thought about whatever. Like, that would be a little weird, right? Probably would have a few people concerned. I would wager that uh, Jim McLean, one of our elders, would uh, very firmly but gently make sure that that man was escorted off the premises, Um, so... So this is a little bit weird. What gives you the right? And I can, I can almost understand the religious leader's perspective here because this is weird, right? You don't just stand up in the temple and start talking unless you've been given permission. So what gives you the right, Jesus? But you see, their goal is public humiliation because they don't just want to correct him. They want to humiliate him. It says that this is taking place in front of an audience. So he's teaching the people and they question him directly in front of the people because they are hoping to trap him and get him to say, oh, uh, well, I thought it'd be okay with you guys if if maybe I, I just said something. And so they're trying to humiliate him publicly. This is their goal. They want to defame him, right? They, they don't want him to be as popular as he is. So that's what they're trying to do here. Uh, and so they ask a question about authority. And authority is just a topic that's been on my heart, uh, well, for probably a few months, honestly. And, and so I, I see it so heavily here that this question about authority, what gives you the authority, what gives you the right? And so I want to talk about submission because these two go hand in hand. We like that word authority sometimes, but we don't like the word submission because uh, submission means you're not the one in authority right? So we like to be the one in authority, but we don't like to be the one that submits to the authority. But the truth is that if you, have, uh, if you have made a decision to make Jesus the Lord of your life, you are supposed to submit to his authority. I'm going to say that one more time because I think it's really important. If you have made a decision to make Jesus the Lord of your life, you are supposed to submit to his authority, and this is also true in a variety of other places, right? We know that we have to submit to authority at work, or we know that we have to submit to the authority of uh, the police, right? So, so this is not a new concept, but it is one that we often struggle with. Um, so, so who is that authority in your life? Now, um, for some of you that is your, your boss at work, or again, you know, the government is an authority. You know we're actually also called to respect authorities, So, regardless of how you feel about the police or how you feel about the government, you're supposed to respect them. That's what the Bible teaches. Or, uh, who are you submitting to is an even better question. Maybe there's somebody that is supposed to be an authority in your life, but you're not actually submitting to them. And so, you're totally negating that authority. Do you talk back to your boss at work? Or, you know, husband and wife, and and I talk about this, uh, I talked about it in depth a few weeks ago, but the way that God has things set up, the husband's supposed to be the head and the wife is supposed to submit to that authority. I know it's a touchy subject, but wives, are you talking back to your husband? Now, conversely, husbands, you're supposed to love your wife like the church, like Jesus loves the church. So it's not like you get out of this easily. But but I guess really the question is when it comes to authority, if you are truly living under the appropriate authority is who are you submitting to? And I, I, again, got to bring this back to Jesus, right? Are you truly submitting to Jesus? Are you submitting to what he says in his word? So in this situation, the priests supposedly have God's authority because back in the Old Testament, uh, the priests were set up from the uh, line of Aaron, the tribe of the Levites, and uh, they were ordained to be the priests chosen by God. Now, it's a little bit different situation. These are not all necessarily Levites anymore. These are not all necessarily descendants of Aaron, uh, but they still at least have this presumption that they are placed in authority by God. Um, But if we look at their actions as Jesus did, we know that's not the case. So because they believe that they are supposed to be in authority, they want Jesus to submit to their authority, uh, which, of course, is a little bit backwards because... Jesus is the Son of God. We know that. They may have suspected something at the time, but they want Jesus at this point in time to submit to their authority. And so the question that they ask is, where does Jesus' authority come from? Where does it come from? And Jesus gives them an answer in this way. He answered them. I also will ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? This is John the Baptist Uh, who was actually Jesus's cousin. Uh, You might remember the story where Jesus was baptized by John, and there was a visual depiction of the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus. So Jesus knows that they know who John the Baptist is, and he asks them the question, was his baptism from heaven or from man? He's asking, where did John's authority come from? Where did John get his power, his authority? Who told him to do this? Well, we know who it was, right? It came from God. He was told by the Spirit of God to proclaim Jesus' coming. The, uh, the religious leaders, they discussed it with one another, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why did you not believe him? So they know that there's, there's really two options here, right? Uh, either John's authority came from heaven, it came from God, or it did not. And so uh, they say, if we say from heaven, he will say, why did you not believe him? Because this is their problem. Because if John the Baptist had appropriate authority from heaven, John said Jesus is the Messiah. That's a really tough one to work around if you are the religious leaders of the day because if Jesus is the Messiah, then they're in the wrong. And the tables are turned because if Jesus is the Messiah, they need to submit to him. Well, clearly that's not going to work for their plan, right? Because they aren't interested in submitting to Jesus. They want it to be the other way around. They want Jesus to submit to their authority. He's bucking the system, and that's making them upset, and they are trying to put their authority over him. It's not their favorite idea, right? They're not a fan of that idea. Okay, so, so they can't tell Jesus that the authority of John came from heaven Okay, they've figured that out. What's the other option? If we say from man, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. Death is not appealing either. Jesus or death, Jesus or death, hmm. But this is the choice that they have, right? Jesus or death? Like, okay, either we say, yes, John said that, He was from heaven, and we believe that. Then they have to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Or they say it was from man, and they get stoned to death. Not the other kind of stoned. Just make a clear distinction. This is something that leads to death. So this is where they're at, Jesus or death. And so, like any good politician, they choose a third option. So they answered him that they did not know where it came from. Hmm, I don't like this one, I don't like this one. I don't know, Jesus. So Jesus has got them figured out now because their true motives have been shown because they're not really interested in knowing where Jesus's authority has come from. It's clear by their answer that what they really want is to submit him to their own authority. So they don't care about Jesus's authority at all. They only care about their own. And Jesus knows it. So instead of giving them an answer, Jesus says, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. I love just like the humor of Jesus here, right? It's, it's just so funny to me that, that they try and trap him and then Jesus just asks them a question and they come back kind of confused. And he says, well, I guess I won't tell you what I'm doing this authority by either then. Jesus cracks me up. Because, like he could tell them, but why not have some fun with them? Why not have some fun with them? Uh, you remember public humiliation wasn't that their goal? well, they they achieved their goal just in a different manner than they had hoped, because now they are the ones who have been publicly humiliated because Jesus has turned the tables on them, and they are in a place where they've got egg on their face, right? because because they are supposed to be these religious leaders with this authority and power and people are supposed to listen to them and Jesus has just wrecked it for them. He says, I'm not gonna tell you by what authority I'm doing this because you won't tell me by what authority you think John was doing this. And so they have been totally disgraced publicly, which of course makes them real happy, right? And so what Jesus does do, even though he gives them no answer, is he tells them a story. Now, this is one of the other things that is just, I I think, so great about Jesus is that he still gives the answer, right? He just doesn't give them the direct answer. So Jesus, I believe, always gives an answer. It's not always the answer that we want to hear, mind you, because Jesus knows better than we do, and sometimes he's going to give us a different answer than what we are hoping for, but he knows what's best for us. And he does give them an answer, but he does so in the form of a story. I wanted to take a moment to talk about why does Jesus use stories so much in the New Testament? Because we have these parables all throughout the New Testament. They make up a considerable amount of it. And we've only selected a few for this uh, parables uh, series that we're in, but there are so many more. And as Pastor Jim uh, started off the series, he was defining a parable as a simple story that Jesus uses to teach a moral or spiritual truth, Right? And that's very true in this instance, uh, but this parable is also a little bit prophetic. Um, And so we're going to dig into it in just a moment. But first, I want to go to what Jesus himself said about why he tells people stories. Uh, Back in Matthew 13, uh, verse 10, the disciples came and said to him, "'Why do you speak to them in parables?' Jesus, why don't you just give me a straight answer? Why do you always got to be telling me these stories?' And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. So Jesus Jesus is actually kind of selective, right? He welcomes all, but if you're going to be one of his, you're going to do things his way, right? So to you it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not even what he has will be taken away. And he's talking about their understanding here. He says, you've been given understanding. You can see the truth in this story because you've been chosen, but they haven't. They are refusing to understand. They're refusing to come to me. And so they're not gonna understand. And this, this happens, I believe, as well today because you have people outside the church who look at the Bible and think it's utter nonsense, right? Right? But to those of us who know Jesus, who have submitted to his authority, we can read the Bible and we can just see how it is so life-changing, right? Because there is so much truth and goodness and, and basic rules for life. Like, there is so much more life you can get from looking at the word of God. But to those who don't know Jesus, it doesn't make any sense. He says, this is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing... They do not see, and hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. And so this is what it really gets down to. This is why Jesus tells stories. He tells stories for those who are ready to hear. If you are in a position where you are ready to hear from Jesus, then he's ready to talk to you. He's ready to tell you that story. He's ready to give you that answer. Jesus also tells stories for those who are ready to heal. Because Jesus knows that we are in a messed up world right? Hard things happen. Hard things have happened in our church family just this last week. Jesus is ready if you are ready to receive healing. And this is why he tells stories, so that those who are ready are positioned to hear them. The priests were not ready. They were not interested in hearing or healing. We know that they had hardened hearts. And if we look elsewhere in the Old Testament, we, we know that God promised that he would replace the heart of stone with a heart of flesh, but you have to be willing, and the priests were not. But the people were, and so Jesus speaks to the people, and that's when we come back to our story. And I want to take a little bit more time to go through the story this time and to really break it down and talk about what this means, both for those who were hearing it then and for us today, because I believe the Bible is applicable to both, right? Right? There's the original audience, and they received something from it. But there's also us today. This is not just a cute story that Jesus told to some people and, oh, isn't that nice? No, this, this has real meaning for us today. So let's go through it again. He began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. So this is a farming community, right? So they, they understand this. You have a vineyard. You can... Uh, You can grow grapes. Oftentimes that gets turned into wine. That means profits. This is is a way a lot of people at that time make their living, right? You also have people who are financially better off than others, and they may own a vineyard, but they let others farm it, right? They let others manage it. And there's nothing wrong with that because typically the deal is that, yeah, I own it. You're going to work it, but guess what? We're gonna split the profits. That way we both get a living off of it, right? So there's nothing wrong with that. So when the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants. So remember, he's in another country. He sends a servant to those who have been working it so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. This is a very reasonable expectation. You know, in, in our society today, we would have a legal document. It's likely that in this scenario, they would have some kind of legal agreement, uh, whatever form that may have taken, that, you know, hey, you are essentially leasing the land from me. You're going to work it. I get a share of what you work. This is very reasonable. Uh, But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. This is a very unreasonable response, isn't it? I mean, can you imagine if this scenario were taking place today? We've got a lot of farmland around us, right? If you drive very far outside of Savannah at all, you will come across a lot of farmland. And I mean, we we grow cotton and corn and peanuts and peaches and all kinds of things, right? Uh, And so it would be very, very unreasonable for somebody to own a piece of that farmland and to let somebody else lease it, and then for them to send somebody, hey, where's my share of the profits, and for them to beat that person and send him away. Can you imagine? The cops would be called, right? right this is not right, yet this is what these people seemingly get away with. And the response of the owner of the land is just wild to me because he doesn't call the cops, right? And at the time, maybe they would have sent soldiers or they would have sent somebody and they would have taken something by force. He doesn't do that. That makes no sense to me. But instead, he sent another servant. If I were in that position, I would get somebody else involved. I would call the cops. I would do something like that, right? But he doesn't do it, and it doesn't really make sense to me because that's not how I think. And I don't know if that's true for you guys or not, but if I were in his situation, I would think this is time to get somebody, an authority, involved, right? But he just sends another servant. But they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one also they wounded and cast out depending upon which gospel you read this parable in, one of them actually says that they killed this servant. Like, things have escalated very, very quickly. Certainly now is the time to bring in the authorities. Now is the time to, to call the garrison or to call the police or, or to get somebody involved. They are beating people over a simple legal agreement that is a standard common thing. And it's actually a familiar story for those who are listening to it originally. And I believe it's a familiar story for us as well, if we'll think about it. You see, how many messengers had God sent to correct his people? And how patient was he when they beat them and sent them away? He'd send another one and another one. They weren't very well received, though, were they? Think about the prophets. Almost every single one of the prophets that we read about in the Old Testament was beaten. They were shunned, they were imprisoned. They did not want to hear, the people of Israel and Judah did not want to hear what the prophets had to say. They did not want to hear God's instruction. They did not want the father to come to them saying, hey guys, didn't we agree to this? Didn't, aren't you gonna live this way? I thought, I thought we'd agreed to this. They didn't want that. Then the exile happened, right? This is what happened when they refused to obey God. So God took another authority, King Nebuchadnezzar at the time, and then the Persian and Greek and ultimately the Roman empires by Jesus' day that, that just ruled over them. And yes, there was a remnant that came back to Jerusalem and lived there, but, but they were always living under oppression. But that's because they were always living outside of God's authority. Then comes John the Baptist. John the Baptist, the man that the Pharisees probably know is from God, right? He's paving the way for the Messiah, but they refuse to listen to him as well. And ultimately, John the Baptist is killed. They are not receiving God's messengers. They would not submit to God's authority in any way and they were suffering for it. Their hearts had been hardened, they were living in hard circumstances, and ultimately it was because of their own choice to live without God. But how about today? Because I believe this is a familiar story for us today as well. I believe we go through this today. How many messengers has God sent to us? How about our parents, right? Now, I know that this is not true for all of us in the room, but uh, my, myself, I was raised by godly parents who sometimes I listened to and sometimes I did not, um, but, but maybe there's another mentor in your life uh, who has tried to, to give you some good advice, or uh, that, that could be an uncle or an aunt or a grandparent or maybe a, a spiritual mentor, maybe an elder in the church, and you don't really listen. Or how about our teachers, right? You know, in school, they're trying to teach you something and a lot of us just, we, we think we're smarter than them for whatever reason. Yeah, you know, they got like 15 years on me and they've got minimum four years of education, but I, I know what I'm talking about, right? Not them. We do this all the time. How about our pastors, Right? How many times do we sit in a service like this and we hear something from the platform and it stirs something in our hearts and we go home and do nothing about it? See, I I believe that God uses each of these people in our lives, but we don't often submit to God's authority because God tries to use people in our lives to do something because he wants to help us, he wants to heal us, but we've positioned our hearts so that we're not ready to hear. We're not ready to heal. So we refused to listen and neither did they. The Pharisees, the religious leaders at the time, they didn't listen either. The Israelites did not listen, which is why they are living under oppression at this time. And so he sends the son, both in the parable and of course, Jesus in the flesh, the son comes. The owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. And again, this just kind of blows my mind. They didn't respect my servants. They beat them. Surely they'll respect my son. Like, how is it that, that his mind does not go to getting the soldiers involved or getting somebody else involved that is going to be able to come with some force? But you see, this is, this is a picture of the heart of God the Father, is that he says, no, I'm going to send my son. I'm going to send the one that I cherish most and I hope that you will cherish him too. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. So they believe it is about authority as well, but they believe that the authority, the owner has sent them everything they need just now so that they can claim it all for themselves because they believe that destroying the sun removes the authority. They think that if we destroy the air, then ultimately this owner has nothing left and it will just become our property. And this is some really backwards thinking, right? There's no one anywhere who would object to this, but but this is how the Israelites lived. We see this with the story of Jesus and we see it in our own lives, and our own hearts today. Even though we can we can look at it logically and say, well, that just doesn't make any sense. This is how they lived and it's how we live. But today we destroy by discrediting. And here's what I mean by that. Have you ever heard somebody talking about the Bible and they say something like, well, it doesn't really mean that. You've not interpreted that correctly. Or something like, "Oh, Quinn, I've lost my clicker. Something like, that's not, what Jesus intended. Thanks, Quinn. That's not what Jesus really intended. Have you ever heard anybody talk about the Gospels like that? Well, yeah, yeah, I get that that's what it says, but you don't understand the context of it. And so that doesn't really apply for today, and God doesn't really work that way, and that's a very, very slippery slope, and that creates doubt. But doubt kills slowly. See, doubt, I think, is worse than in the story when they took the son, they killed him, and that was it. Doubt is something that just kind of creeps in, and it just slowly, slowly, slowly picks away at what you believe. And eventually, you start believing these things that aren't true at all. And it starts with, well, maybe that isn't what Jesus really meant. Maybe that doesn't really apply today. Doubt is a slow killer. This was not a slow killer. They threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. That's it. Done deal. But this is finally when the owner takes action. And again, I, I don't understand why he didn't take action before this. The only thing I can come to is that it's a picture of God, and his grace towards us is so great that even though we killed his son, He still makes a way. This is a prophetic parable because this is exactly what happened to Jesus. The religious leaders stirred up the people. They got the Romans involved and they killed him because they didn't like the message that he came with, because they didn't want to hear what the son had been sent by the father to say, just like those in the parable did not want to hear what the son had to say, just like we don't want to hear that today. They denied Jesus and sought to destroy him. And we deny Jesus and seek to destroy him. Now, now maybe you think to yourself, well, I don't, I don't want to destroy Jesus, right? But what about his word, right? Do we truly believe it and live it? Or do we, do we make these small little adjustments, right? Have you ever adjusted what you believe? Because, well, that doesn't really fit with how the world works, you know, Jesus couldn't have known that the world would be like this today. I believe he could, and I believe he still would have said what he said. And so, with these little adjustments in our belief, we deny Jesus, and we seek to destroy him, and we do not submit to him. It's knowing the truth, yet refusing to live like it. Pastor Jim uh, talks about this, and he has this analogy where uh, he talks about, it's like if you've ever been in a pool or at the ocean, and you've got an inflatable ball, right? You try to keep that thing under the surface. You are spending so much time trying to keep that thing under the surface that you spend all of your time and energy on it. Ultimately, you become exhausted, and that's going to come up anyways, right? It's the same here you can spend so much time and energy trying to keep the truth down, trying to pretend that Jesus is who you want him to be and not who he really is, not who he says in his word. And you're gonna spend so much time and energy trying to keep it down, but ultimately the truth's gonna come up. Jesus is who he says he is and he's not gonna be held back. But living it out is hard, I will give you that. Living it out is really hard. I I can't help but think of of Crystal and Jason in the hospital. That's hard. It's hard to stand over your husband's body and say, Lord, will you bring him back? Submission is hard because I don't think that we can live it out unless we fully submit. Okay, God, I don't get it. This is what I would like to happen, but I trust you to do it. This is where we we have things like give it to God, right? This is really churchy saying that lots of people use and typically is not very comforting at all, right? Just give it to God. Oh, sure, thanks. That's helpful. But what it really is is saying to God, I trust you. God, I don't know how this is going to end, but I trust you. God, I don't know how we're going to afford this, but I trust you. God, I don't know if we can survive this but I trust you. And there are some benefits to submitting to that authority. Did you know that? To saying, God, I trust you. In Matthew 28, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus tells us that all authority is his. And then he tells us to go do something. Do you know that if Jesus tells you to do something, you can do it? If Jesus has all authority and you submit to his authority and he tells you to do something, you can do it. No matter what it is. No matter how hard it might be. And that's why I believe we need to pray like we have authority. And this is is why I, I tried to be really intentional as we were praying for Jason earlier, to pray in the authority of Jesus Christ, by the power of Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus Christ. It's not my authority, but Jesus has said that I can pray like that, right? Jesus has said that I can ask for things. I can ask for the impossible. And so I think it's a challenge for all of us, and it's, I believe that it's, it's no accident that, you know, Jason is in the hospital right now, and we have this opportunity to exercise our faith, right? We have this opportunity to pray like Jesus says we can pray. We have the opportunity to speak life. We have the opportunity to see miracles happen, but we have to submit to Jesus to be able to operate under his authority. And the alternative? What will the owner of the vineyard do to them? This is what happens in the parable. He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. That's hard. That's really hard. But the truth is, if you don't choose Jesus, the alternative is death. And it's not God's heart to us, not in the slightest. But he gives us the choice. Jesus is the path to life. When the audience hears this, they they say, "'Surely not!' But he looked directly at them and said, "'What then is this that is written? "'The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. "'Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, "'and when it falls on anyone else, it will crush him.'" The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. So again, Jesus or death. This is the choice that is in front of the religious leaders at the time, and it's our choice as well today. So as as I wrap things up here, I just want to encourage you what's your choice gonna be? Because just like they had a choice, we have a choice. We can choose to live that life where we we pray with authority. Or we can deny him. Will we submit to him or will we deny him? Those are really the only options, guys. We can't pull a Pharisee. That's what I'm, I'm going to coin a new phrase. We can't pull a Pharisee and say, I don't know. Because in the end, there's two choices. Will you deny him or will you submit to his authority? Luke 10, he talks about authority once more. He says, behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. That's some exciting stuff, right? And elsewhere we hear of all the miraculous things and the healings that can happen if we submit to his authority. This is one of the benefits of authority, that we can do the miraculous. Here's the crazy thing though. As awesome as that is, Jesus says, nevertheless, Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. That's a huge deal. The spirits are subject to me? What? But don't rejoice in this, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Because this is what it's ultimately about. This is a a lifetime choice and daily choices, I believe, because we, we have this choice of a lifetime, right? Where we can say, Jesus, I choose to be with you. Jesus, I want to give my life to you. And maybe there's some of you in the room today and you're in that place, or if you're watching online, you're in that place and you say, Jesus, I'm ready. I'm ready to submit to you. I believe that probably most of us in here have have probably already made that choice. It's unlikely that you'd be here if you hadn't, right? But are you making the daily choices or are you making little adjustments? Are you making the daily choice to say, okay, Jesus, today I will submit to you? Are you making the choice to say, Jesus, I don't know how we're gonna work this out financially, but I, I choose to trust you. I'm gonna do things your way. Or Jesus, I don't know if, if you can bring healing into this body, but I, I choose to trust you. I choose that, to believe that you can work in this way. And it's a choice that we have to make daily. So once again, I, I invite and encourage everybody to, to exercise your faith to pray for Jason and the total, complete healing, but also to pray for your own life, to pray that God would move miraculously in whatever it is that you're struggling with. Because if we're honest, most of us probably have something going on, right? We may not have a family member in the hospital, but maybe we're struggling to make the bills, or maybe we have a broken relationship or or any other number of things. And we say, okay, God, I don't know how you can do it, but I believe that you can do it so will you make that choice to trust him today? So I wanna take a moment and pray for everybody. And, and I wanna invite you, if you want to pray with somebody today after service, there's gonna be people at the back of the room who would love to pray with you. And they would love to pray that God works in your life the way that he says he wants to work in your life, as long as you are ready to listen and to receive the healing that he promises. So let me pray for you. And I ask that everybody just bow their head and close their eyes and let's focus on him. Lord Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you that you have given us these choices. Thank you that you have, have placed yourself in our lives in a way that we can say yes. That we can say yes, Lord, I choose to trust you. Lord, I pray for those in the room and those watching online who may not know you. I ask that, that you would draw them in I ask that you would soften their hearts, Father, that you would replace that heart of stone with a heart of flesh. I ask that you would show them the life that comes only from you and that you would speak to them now. I pray that you who are listening, you would say yes to Jesus, that you would say yes to the life that he offers, that you would say yes to submitting to his authority. For those of you in the room, for those of you watching online, that you do know Jesus, you do submit to him, but maybe not all the time, I invite you to say yes to him as well. Yes, Jesus. I've not trusted you with this. You know what it is. You know what it is that you've not trusted Jesus with. Are you ready to trust him? Yes, Jesus, I will trust you. Yes, Jesus. And just whether out loud or in your heart, say that out loud if you are ready. Yes, Jesus, I will trust you with this, whatever it may be. I will trust you, Jesus. Jesus, we trust you for Jason's healing. We trust you to work miracles in the lives of the Brit family. We trust you to provide for them financially. We trust for you to take care of their home. We trust that you will make yourself known and you will be glorified through all of this because we choose today, Jesus, to submit to you. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you hear us. We give this day to you. We trust you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.